welcome to the Motorsport Coaching Podcast, sponsored by Motivate Training and Management. This is a podcast where we talk to drivers and industry experts to help you maximize your performances on and off the track. Let's get started with today's show. Hi guys, and welcome to episode 24 of the Motorsport Coaching Podcast. I am your host, Belinda Risley. Today, I had the pleasure of interviewing Mark Campbell. Mark is the director of Xenon Technologies. If you want to know what it is, keep listening. He's had an amazing career over the last 15 years through motorsport, and his journey has been absolutely amazing from the Navy to Formula Ones. He still works for Mercedes to this very day, doing what? You'll need to keep listening. So without further ado, here's Mark. Welcome to the show, Mark. Pleasure. Thank you for the invite. Thank you. <laughs> I'm very excited to have you on your show on the show today. Um, going through your LinkedIn profile, you've done so many amazing things um, that I'm sure many of the listeners out there would only aspire to to achieve. Can you tell us? Um, I will share your story to date. Yeah, absolutely. So, like many people, uh, I found my motorsport path um, somewhat difficult. Um, I started. Uh, my career in the Navy, both in the Royal Navy in the UK and then subsequently in the Australian Navy um, in the mid-90s through to uh, the mid-2000s. In my last few years in the Navy, I managed to develop a relationship um, with the minority F1 team um, to actually get um, a number of junior engineers into the pits and work with the guys um, at each of the Australian Grand Prix. Yeah. Um, and essentially... Um, felt that really that's where my career was headed. Um, so I left the Navy to search and seek my uh, career in motorsport. And as with many people, um, volunteered for a number of trackside uh, roles uh, within Australian motorsport with um, GT Championship and uh, Porsche Carrera Cup and uh, a little bit of V8 uh, Supercar until I guess um, in the 2010, 2011, I had my first opportunity to work on Formula One um, and literally packed my bags, flew over to the UK. Oh, fantastic. And so what are you doing there now? Like, what does it, your role involved? And yeah, over the, the last seven or eight years, have you predominantly just been in Formula Ones? Um, so the past eight years, I've worked uh, prominently in Formula One, um, also in Australian motorsport, uh, with Xenon Technologies, um, providing uh, new in innovative products in motorsport lighting, automotive lighting safety systems. Um, but my motorsport, Formula One, Australian motorsport experience has been involved in a range of things from providing data analysis and training services initially in Australia uh, through the providing systems engineering and project management activities um, for Formula One teams and also for the FIA. Mm -hmm. um, and then obviously coming back and forth between Australia to work, um, both, as I said, from a uh, commercial management perspective from Xenon and then um, keeping my hands in on the track side side of things just to, um, I guess, provide some system engineering and data analysis as well. My most recent experience over here uh, outside of Xenon is working for the Australian Invader 5R uh, World Land Speed Record Challenge. So oh, cool. providing them with uh, electronic systems uh, support. So I'm heading off to WA next week to help them with that as well. Yeah. And is that how Xenon Technologies started as a more of a consultancy based business? And So Xenon is um, or has been 
a very much a startup company um, led by Robert Lancelotti, um, who has founded an innovative product for emergency notification and safety lighting. Initially for motorcycles, but we've grown that into the automotive, motorsport, mobility and agricultural vehicle sector. Um, and that essentially is um, the next step for that is to grow the product range and then actually uh, leverage that across the world to the US market. And that's been helped by me traveling around the world, predominantly in Formula One. Um, that's allowed me to uh, piggyback um, some of that activity by promoting the, the uh, capability to uh, manufacturers and to investors both in Europe and in the USA. So, um, so that's very much a, a for me, um, a consultative role, um, but um, <laughs> um, always the trouble with these things is that the success, the success grows, um, yes. so does the amount of work. So <laughs> I suspect it will be a full-time role coming to 2019 and 2020. Wow. And so uh, obviously all of those connections have been made um, by your great networking skills. You mentioned you're the, the commercial manager of Xenon. Um, mm -hmm. what, what does that role actually entail? So just on selling all those services and products you just mentioned, or is there a little bit more to it? Um, so it's everything really. I mean, <laughs> as you have with any startup, um, you are working from the cold face through to the uh, strategic level of management. Um, you, in my role, albeit um, my main focus is on the motorsport sector. Um, Australia, unlike Europe, isn't a massive motorsport industry. Um, I think we're at the seventh in terms of, um, uh, uh, I guess, global financial might around the world. Um, but essentially, our industry is quite low. There's only a number of small companies that actually provide innovative products. Yeah. So, Unlike Europe, where the motorsport sector can sometimes lead uh, the automotive sector, over here it generally is the other way around. So we, we realised very quickly that um, pitching the product to the motorsport sector in Australia would probably be the second or third option, um, and predominantly the transportation and agricultural and, uh, and specifically the mobility sector would be our primary focus. Uh, and then so my role essentially is to um, work with a number of investors around the world to actually obviously um, get them to fund the manufacturing of the product uh, in country. Um, so what we try to do is sell the whole package um, to countries. So they take on um, the manufacturing distribution and uh, advertising within their own uh, geographic domain. So that way it keeps our, our overheads low and yeah. also manufacturing in Australia tends to be somewhat more expensive than other countries in certain areas, uh, yeah. but it also has some benefits in other areas as well. Um, so we try and take the best from each country and provide them a full package that they can take ownership of that, that product. So my role is everything from working with our engineering and design teams to develop new products through to looking at the marketing uh, putting out some new new strategies from a sales perspective, going out, working with customers, um, networking, as we mentioned, um, obviously negotiating the contracts, doing the deals, and um, basically being also the motorsport face um, of Zenon Technology. So, you know, um, I mean, it's been lucky. I mean, my roles have been very, very well 
I guess you could say, if I, I wanted to put it the, the right way, I've strategically chosen them, but I think yeah. it's been more luck than judgment in some cases. Um, <laughs> but essentially working with the FIA has certainly been useful because it's allowed me to work with people like Charlie Whiting and a number of other people in the FIA to, to showcase our products. Although not received their endorsement, certainly uh, received their interest and obviously then leveraged that onto um, grassroots motorsport and uh, other events. Yeah, very interesting. And what has been the most favourite role? Like, obviously, you've done various roles throughout your career, and they all sound very different and um, hitting different elements. Which one's been your favourite? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think I'll, I'll probably answer this with two roles, but in a slightly different way. So, the one that stands out emotionally for me is my first Formula One role, and that's with Mercedes Formula One uh, high performance engines. That was um, that was a task for me of ten years, or a journey of ten years, for me to achieve what essentially was my main mission, and that was to achieve a career in Formula One. Um, so the day that um, I was accepted by them was an extremely emotional uh, day for me. I can assure you. So, um, so that so so that that one stands out in my mind. But in terms of enjoyment and excitement. Um, I guess it was working with the FIA, traveling to every Grand Prix for three or four years. Um, and that was basically quite a challenging role in itself, uh, both logistically, uh, physically, emotionally, from a family perspective as well, being away from the family for the best yeah. part of each year. But nevertheless, had some exciting challenges. And when I look back on my photographs and my Facebook pages and all the rest of it, you know, I, I, it's something that I, I really enjoyed and, and certainly um, uh, hope, you know, certainly people um, that are interested in that sort of uh, field and also my own children uh, can aspire to. So uh, that one stands out. Yeah. Um, and you just mentioned before about family. How did you go working away all this family <laughs> base here in Australia? Are they based in the UK or where in the world? Yeah, did your family come about and, and start? Well, I can assure you I'm still married um, yeah, but, uh, and my kids haven't disowned me, but, but essentially um, it's not easy. Um, so it's, it's hard. I mean, I mean, I've worked with guys in the UK, um, male and female who have got their partners um, and many um, are very strong relationships and others, you know, uh, fall by the wayside, sadly, but it, it's, it's, and there's no hidden trick to this. I mean, Luckily, I've got a very, very understanding wife. I mean, she, she uh, and I met when I was in the Navy, so she was used to me being away. Um, the irony of me leaving the Navy to spend more time with my family and then going to Formula One, obviously, isn't lost on her. But nevertheless, so we had the opportunities um, on a number of occasions for her to fly out uh, to some of the uh, Grand Prix, like Singapore and the USA and what have you. Uh, but for, for the most part, um, really, I was on my own, um, living out of a suitcase in hotels. For the for the, the trips around the world, there were opportunities between a number of races to come home and I, and I took that opportunity as most of, best I could. And also um, during the three month uh, or two and a half, three month off period, I was home continually for that period of time. So, so we had um, over that three or four years, um, some significant home time as well as me being away. But when I was uh, working for Mercedes, as I was last uh, last year and this year, early this year, 
I was away continually for a year. So I would fly home on holidays or Christmas, what have you. Um, but the intent was always to be away for no more than a year. And even that's a struggle. And, and as everybody finds when they come home, you are then having, you are the square peg in the round hole. So you've got to you know, find, <laughs> find your way back into the family unit. So it's, it does, yeah, it comes with its challenges. I, I, I wouldn't say otherwise. And I owe a lot to my family. But essentially, um, they know that this is what I enjoy. This is what I'm good at. Um, and this is, you know, um, what I want to look back on my deathbed and go, yes, I did that. So, um, so with that level of support, you, you can't go wrong. Oh, lovely. And are your kids into motorsports? <laughs> my youngest loves um, uh, Mercedes. So what, what, and uh, whether that's because I work for them or whether it's because he wants me to work for them, I'm not really sure. But, um, <laughs> but he certainly is a big Lewis Hamilton fan. Um, so, yes, he, he's into motorsport. Um, he's quite young. The other two, not so much. My eldest two don't really uh, have much of an interest in it. But that said, I have taken them uh, to some motorsport events and they've enjoyed uh, being part of that. Um, so certainly, um, I think, you know, they may not be avid fans, but they certainly enjoy the, uh, the, the, uh, the atmosphere of when we go to them. Yes, but we all love motorsport listening, so we can all <laughs> agree with you on that part. And what about yourself, Mark? Have you actually competed in motorsports or were you just an avid fan that, as you said, just found this passion um, when you were working in the Navy? Um, yeah, more, more of the latter. I mean, I, I learned long ago to know what your strengths and weaknesses are. And although you can really build on weaknesses, you should leave it as your strengths. And my strength has always been in engineering and program management. Uh, I mean, I've, I've done karting as a, as a yeah, as a as a hobby type thing, but no, nothing really uh, significantly serious. Um, but um, so I knew that um, providing um, the innovation in the background um, and being uh, in that sort of sphere of operation was more akin to my, my psyche. So that's really where where I've um, excelled and why I enjoy. But nevertheless, if somebody offers me the opportunity to get in a car and go around the track, yeah, I'm going to take it. Have you been in the Formula One? Um, <laughs> so officially, yeah. officially no. Um, no. Unofficially, don't tell anybody. But obviously, I'm on the podcast, so he's here. Yes, I've sat in a car, um, but um, but certainly, of course, you know they're not going to let me drive it. Um, but um, yes, we've all sort of, um, you know, uh, I'm sure there are a lot of secret photographs out there of people <laughs> sitting in Formula One cars, and I've probably got a couple. <laughs> <laughs> And so, Mark, with your education to get into engineering, was that obtained through the Navy or was that something that you did straight after school? Like, how did you get into your role educationally? Um, so when I was, uh, when I left school at 16 in the UK, in the dark old days of, um, of CSEs, as they used to call them in the UK in those days, um, I did two years of uh, electronics engineering in college, uh, like a similar to a TAFE course uh, over here. Um, with the intent of joining the Navy. I mean, I, I grew up in a, in a naval family next to a Navy base. Um, you know, my, my career was mapped out at the age of 14. I, I, I knew that's what I wanted to do. Um, but I just wasn't ready for it at 16. I just wasn't physically or emotionally ready to, to throw myself into uniform at the time. Um, so I did two years in college learning how to... Um, how electrons and TVs and 
radios and so forth worked at the time. Um, so when I joined the Navy as uh, an aircraft technician, um, avionics, um, the training at the time became relatively easy to me because I had two years head start on most of that. So, so I, I went into the radio radar um, aircraft engineering field, uh, which purely from a, um, I guess, the, the way the, the focus of operation on aircraft engineering is very similar to, to motorsports. So over uh, essentially almost a 20 year uh, career, both in the UK and in Australia, yeah. I had that psyche of, uh, of capability um, to move into motorsport. And luckily, um, well, I say luckily, I mean, it was a large amount of hard work, but the Navy allowed me to undertake my degree in, uh, in electronics engineering. At RMIT uh, in the early 2000s. Um, so that gave me, um, I guess, the uh, the extra string to the bow. So for when I went into Formula One, having a degree certainly is, is extremely useful. Um, it's not, it's certainly not uh, the be all and end all, but certainly it does give you the leverage to get into the, uh, your foot in the door. So that was very useful. And I think I owe the Navy um, my career uh, in that regard. Yeah, so we try and encourage a lot of the drivers, especially those um, beginner to amateurs that were wanting to take this profession seriously to obviously have a an education in something. So whether it's actually motorsport related or business related. Um, so it was great to hear your pathway of, of getting to the top, really. <laughs> well, I mean, and you're absolutely right. So, I mean, this is why um, my first four into Australian motorsport was to actually um, roll out what um, arguably was the, the first postgraduate online motorsport training courses in Australia. Um, because I, I knew that many people uh, who I, I was volunteering with trackside, uh, the average salary was zero um, and their aspirations were limited by the ability to have a formal level of education to move into international motorsport. So, so I, I um, flew over to the UK to uh, negotiate a contract with Oxford Brooks University so we could tailor and roll out that training in Australia, which we did in uh, 2008. Um, and that resulted in at least three people of whom I know personally um, moving to the UK or working internationally, both in Formula One and also in international motorsport. So, oh, wow. so for, the, for that reason, I'm, yeah, and that's, that's always been a passion of mine. It's it's never, in that respect, it's never been about the financial return. It's been about the, um, the return on investment for people actually achieving their career goal as, in much the way as I've done. So, so for that, I'm, re I'm really uh, grateful for Oxford Brooks for giving us the opportunity to do that. Uh, so you mentioned that was 10 years ago. Uh, mm. Is there any chance you're going to run it out again? Or like <laughs> You said it was quite successful. Uh, it, it was. And I mean, we, we ran it for about three or four years. Um, there was uh, a change in structure within Oxford Brooks. Um, and uh, the chap that um, I was working with uh, sadly moved on to other things. However, um, my, my, my expectation is to uh, work with him in the future. So it may not be Oxford Brooks, but nevertheless, the, the training courses will be very much a tailored affair. Mm -hmm. um, I guess the, the, the issue now is finding the, the window of opportunity amongst yeah. everything else I'm doing to actually <laughs> to do that. But if, you know, if what I'm saying now inspires somebody to take something along, 
on in that respect, I'm more than happy to help. Um, because at the end of the day, Australian, there's, there's a whole gambit of, of um, opportunities out there and, and Australian engineers make up a large part of that pool of international uh, motorsport uh, fraternity. So mm -hmm. the more we got going out there and the more opportunities we've got, I'm more than happy to help uh, achieve them. Oh, fantastic. And how can people get in contact with you then, Mark? What's the best way if people have got some questions or...? So um, essentially, uh, I guess Xenon is my main area of operation. That's where I tend to um, um, receive a lot large amount of my um, communication. I'm also can be found on LinkedIn. Um, I tend to have quite a large network on there. Um, and I try to be as proactive quietly in the sense of not so much public um, uh, uh, publication, but certainly uh, private messaging. I'm happy to help. Um, so there's a, a number of people that have contacted me recently and asking me about uh, employment options. And although I don't have anything myself, I'm, a, I'm always happy to try and point them in the right direction and give them uh, the hints and tips that I've used over, I guess, <laughs> now what is it, close to 15 years yeah. um, of, of achieving as much success as I possibly can within the within the industry. Um, you know, it's, it is fraught with so many uh, difficulties and challenges. Um, and it's a huge market of people trying to get the right jobs or the right opportunities for sponsorship or employment or, you know, any of the opportunities within. Um, but nevertheless, if, if there's anything I can offer people to help them achieve that, you know, just chink away at the, the ice cube, so to speak, uh, I'm happy to help. Well, thanks for that offer, Mark. Now, obviously, uh, you've been around for 15 years, as you've just pointed out, um, and you've lived across the world. What are some of the differences that you've seen um, between Australia, I guess, based events, um, sponsorships and categories um, mm. from the international ones? How different are we in Australia? <laughs> we, we certainly punch above our weight here. Um, okay. and, and, and that's inspiring. I mean, budgets are obviously the biggest factor. Yep. Um, so grassroots in, in Europe is probably um, at the same level as probably V8 supercar and slightly maybe above uh, than what we see here. Um, so sponsors tend to be um, more capable of, uh, of providing financial and um, commercial support for um, talented drivers in Europe more so than you would get over in Australia. Um, and the return on investment there is, is much greater because most events are televised on, on some level of prime time or pay TV or some description. So, so they tend to um, see the, uh, the benefits in a much clearer mindset than you would in Australia. And that's understandable when you've got, um, although the coverage of, of grassroots racing in Australia is very good, it's not to the level as it is in Europe. Mm -hmm. um, and also the market size over here is much smaller. So, yeah. so, so it's difficult over here um, to obtain, uh, to see good drivers move forward into uh, international or certainly uh, high-level motorsport. Although the no cams have, um, have increased its capability in terms of the F4 or F3 series to provide a pathway, and that, that's very encouraging. Yeah. Uh, nevertheless, without the commercial support, it's very difficult for young drivers to, to make that next step. 
And as we mentioned before, um, the education and the industry over here is quite limited. Um, so that's, you know, I don't want to paint a black picture because that's not really where Australia is. We're actually stronger than most countries, but we do limit ourselves in that capacity. Um, I guess the one thing though, if I want to look at a positive is no matter where you are in the world in motorsport, the camaraderie <laughs> and the atmosphere in each of the pit lanes and the paddocks and in the back of the trailers or whatever it might be is exactly the same. It's only, it's only the taste of champagne that changes in that respect. Mm. Oh, and um, over there, sorry, over there, in um, Europe, you're saying about the base route being different. Is that like even just for the micro cup? Yeah, I mean, um, open, I guess, yeah, it, 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 it is. I mean, essentially, um, what, what you find over there is that promotional activities in and outside of the paddock, you know, so between races and what have you, um, there are much greater opportunities. And the commercial market for the sponsors is much larger because you've got the whole of Europe and if not, you know, the rest of the world to actually um, leverage your product on. So um, whether things will change with Brexit, I don't know. That'd be interesting <laughs> to see how that yeah. would impact um, on, on the motorsport sector. And I know there are murmurings about European insurances on motorsport events in Europe at the moment. So again, these things may have a financial impact, um, but certainly the opportunities for commercial leverage as they stand are, are, are much stronger than they are in, the, uh, uh, in Australia, albeit we have the opportunity to leverage into the Asia Pacific market, which in itself is, is significantly huge. So um, we just need to find that pathway. And Mark, you mentioned before about um, having more live coverage in Europe. Do you feel that takes away the fan engagement at the track? Are the numbers better uh, still or are they lower because it is live coverage? Um, I guess it depends on the event. Um, you're probably right uh, in the sense that probably at the very low level grassroots level, um, club level, for example, you, <laughs> you might find numbers are quite limited. Um, but then I would, I would argue that maybe it's probably the same case in Australia. Um, but at the national or, um, or mid-range motorsport sectors, um, you know, even rally championships for that matter, um, the, you do tend to get a large number of, of uh, attendees uh, and, and uh, spectators. But, um, I mean, I, I remember some years ago when I was still living in the UK, I, um, there was a local Cornwall rally, so I lived right in the dark, deep, dark part of the UK. Um, and the number of spectators there, and this was probably 1989, 1990, um, were quite significant um, in the sense of, um, you know, it's in the middle of nowhere and it's places that are very hard to find. But rest assured, there were a large number of people watching what was quite a low-key rally event. So... So the, yeah, the spectators do turn out in their um, in their hundreds and thousands, depending on the on the, on the event. Yes, I definitely feel like motorsport fans are very religious and passionate about their sport. So ideally, they're going to go wherever the sport is. Absolutely, um, you know, TV is great, but there's nothing like the sound and the smell. That's for certain. 
That's right. So, Mark, in your spare time, <laughs> um, you are an official on a, sorry, you're a committee member on um, Carding Australia official. Mm. Um, what do you do there? And you've been doing that for a long time. So, yeah, so um, Carding Australia, um, again, as you said, my, my passion, out, yeah, I guess I say outside of motorsport, still <laughs> within motorsport, um, is to help. Um, the next generation achieve success, whether it's behind the wheel or behind the uh, the engine, I guess. Um, and Carling Australia, I guess, is that um, uh, that catalyst uh, of of driving uh, career. Mm -hmm. So essentially, um, KA took me on as an independent member of the officials committee board. Um, my role essentially is to help review, I guess, from an independent perspective. Um, the uh, the officials' rules and regulations in terms of obviously uh, sporting regulations and um, some level of safety as well uh, to ensure that we achieve uh, I guess equal competition um, and a good level of sporting prowess uh, for carters within Australia. Um, so with my experience, obviously working with the FIA. Um, and obviously around international motorsport, I've been able to bring some new ideas to um, their, their processes, but at the same time learn a significant amount um, from the very experienced um, committee members who have worked and you know flung flags and worked as officials um, at all these events. So yeah. it's, it's inspiring to work with people <laughs> like this because these are the unsung heroes that, um, that you know, work the weekends for, for nothing. Um, to actually help the, the young um, um, uh, drivers you know, achieve their success within motorsport in Australia. Yeah, and I feel like there's a lot more that we can do to assist them as well. As, as you just said, if we don't have officials, unfortunately, we don't have a race meeting. So um, it's really important for everyone to really get behind and support those officials and, and get people to volunteer in their times to in order these race meetings go ahead. Now, Mark, what is the next project? Since you've been doing pay A, you've got Zenon, you've got well. <laughs> No, I think, I mean, obviously, um, Zenon is, um, as I said, is ramping up. Um, and the anticipation is that will become, I guess, my full-time focus going into um, the next five years at least. Um, nevertheless, I've never been a, a, a one-man band. I've always, um, as I said, try to keep my, my focus on uh, the coalface as well as um, providing other levels of development support. So... So yeah. Xenon's number one. Um, number two is providing uh, electronic systems support for the um, uh, Invader 5, 5R um, world land speed record. So, so I'm working with those guys to actually develop um, some electronics integration systems into uh, the vehicle at the moment so they can undertake the, uh, the 1,000 mile per hour challenge in 2020. So that will keep my electronics head still buzzing um and then on top of that obviously you're still working with ka um provide support where they need it there and other opportunities that have come along um i mean i've never been one to say no to opportunities um whether that's a good or bad thing i've yet to try and work that one out um, but nevertheless um that's where my focus is on the moment uh, at the moment so we'll see where that leads in the next couple of years and can you tell us a little about Extreme Beam? Mm. 
So Extreme Being um, essentially is a fully integrated um, extreme light package. So it produces um, a light which can be seen from around about five kilometers away um, with a significant pulse of lighting, um, which basically has the intellectual property fitted under the chassis. So it actually provides a glow of light around the vehicle. Now, um, this came about predominantly because most injuries and sadly um, fatal injuries in Australia based on motorcycles and agricultural vehicles and quad bikes, for example, out, out in the bush tend to happen because people uh, overturn or they get injured um, whilst out in the middle of nowhere and have no capability of contacting family or friends or emergency services to let them know and they tend to sadly pass away for exposure. So we came across the opportunity to provide a product that not only provides a, a lighting a visual aspect, uh, aspect for anybody that's um, um, broken down or in, in, um, in a similar hazard um, anywhere within Australia, but also provides a notification to family and friends through, um, through its mobile um, communication capability um, of your Latin long um, coordinates uh, and also emergency services notification if it's uh, incorporated. So it really is, a, I guess, a, an EPIRB for the road or for the off-road. Yeah, um, sounds amazing. And, um, yeah, look, it's, it's an amazing technology. And we've also been able to leverage it onto the mobility sector. So, and we've changed lives. Um, and that's, to me, is the uh, moral compass of the organization. It, it helps to, to benefit people, to give, you know, from, a, from both, from the safety perspective, but also for adding value to life. And that to me is, you know, is the biggest success that any company could ever achieve. Yeah, what a rewarding initiative. Well done on that, Mark, and your team. It sounds fantastic. Can you, is it ready now to be purchased or is it still in? So, so at the moment we're working at OEM level. Um, so we, we're not going third party or aftermarket just yet. Yep. Um, but that's our next stage, and that's where we'll be ramping up in 2019 and 2020 to develop off-the-shelf products. So at the moment, we're working with OEMs to integrate it um, in new systems, um, motorcycles, mobility, agricultural systems, and what have you. Uh, but the next step is to go aftermarket. Well, it definitely sounds like retirement on, not on the card anytime soon there, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> that the educational programs <laughs> data analysis um it sounds like you're going to be busy in the next couple of years to come so can't wait to hear more about your journey as you continue on this great career of yours thank you very much for being a guest today um just before we um, wrap up mark do you have any words of advice um although you've already given a lot about getting started in engineering um about working within the motorsport industry i guess um for people who are contemplating it uh, regardless of what category or what um, part of the sport? Yeah, there's, there's, there's plenty, but the key ones without a doubt is never take no for an answer. Absolutely do not take no for an answer. There's always a solution. Um, it may not be immediately available. It might take 10 years, it might take 12 years, but just keep pushing. On top of that, the, the biggest factor is be where the action is. So that's from volunteering trackside to providing um, low cost support, whatever it might be. I mean, what I did um, is I started off my motorsport company. Um, so it gave you some level of recognition uh, um, 
and then went trackside and provided the support yeah. um, from that perspective. So it gave you, um, I guess, the kudos to move forward. Um, now, on top of that, really, it's a case of um, developing different strategies to actually achieve your success. So everybody fails, but you need to analyze why you failed and what you can do better next time. And really just keep hammering at the same people. Um, I mean, uh, just as a side, the reason I got the Formula One job is because I'd had an interview with them in 2008. I was unsuccessful, but I maintained contact with uh, two of the people that interviewed me. Um, I asked their advice on how to uh, change different uh, tax and different educational uh, processes within my resume. Um, and I pushed at that. Um, whether I succeeded in that regard, I don't know, but by maintaining <laughs> contact, um, I was able to get the, the job when, in 2010 when it came up. So it's just keeping, keep going. Do not give up. And again, it comes back to that networking aspect, doesn't it? So it's about building that, that network of community of, of industry experts and colleagues and, and just being around sports. That's right. And, and, and very much so. But it's not just a case of adding people to your LinkedIn account. It's really engaging with them. Um, and working with people to, you know, and giving them, giving them as much as they want to give you. So um, just asking questions is never enough, but certainly, you know, showing that you're a capable person within the sports, within the industry. Um, you know, and this, this is equally important for sponsorship and commercial development and other areas of, of the sport as it is uh, from an employment perspective. It's showing that positive reputation. Um, and it's in, in Australia, that's, it's hard to achieve and it's very easy to lose. So um, it's maintaining positive contact with people and, you know, and a very positive reputation is key. Yeah, I agree 100%. It, it needs to be a win-win um, prospect for both parties mm. in everyone. It's not just a give, give, give. And unfortunately, there's some people out there just think that it's sponsorship as well as like, you know, getting higher up into race categories, think it's all just about them, but they need to be able to have that ability to, to, to share the love really. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yes. <laughs> love. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Mark. I really appreciate that. It was an interesting story um, and definitely achieved a lot um, in that 15 years of your career. So well done. Thank you very much. It's very kind. Um, it's, it's not until you talk about it, you realize it how much you've actually uh, achieved as a person, but um, but I've still got a long way to go. I'm successful yeah, in some ways, and um, but obviously you still want to maintain, you know, that um, that rep reputation, that, that career path within the sport. So it's been great to talk about it. So thank you. Yeah, make sure you check in with the family for Christmas, though. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, they're they're um, outside everything else. They're 100 of my time. So yeah, rest assured that we'll have a great. And to you and your family, of course. Thank you very much, Mark. Now, I always finish off the podcast with the pine question of what is your favourite racetrack? Obviously, you've been to many in the world. So, again, can I answer this with more than one? But, yeah, um, for sure. Okay, so for on-track action, Bathurst, without a doubt. It's, <laughs> it's just the most amazing, challenging track ever. Um, in terms of atmosphere, Monaco, um, it's just an amazing place to be. And of course, like everybody in motorsport, for partying, Hungary um, is surprising. Yeah, yeah, it's one of the best party places in the world, without a doubt. Wow! So it's just a 
party for a week when their F1s are on or is it just a constant party place? I've never been there. So if my employer is listening, it's I don't party all week. <laughs> um, but no, it's, it's an amazing place. Um, yeah, it's um, Budapest is fantastic. Yeah, it's really good. Oh, well, there you go. There's some interesting new tracks to add to our list. Again, Mark, thank you for your time. Um, all of Mark's details will be in today's show notes. Um, if you want to get in contact with Mark, as I said, um, if you are looking to get onto that journey for engineering, um, it certainly would be worth connecting with Mark on LinkedIn and having a, a quick conversation about how to get started. My pleasure. Thanks very much, Mark. Pleasure. Thanks, Belinda. And uh, yeah, best of luck to yourself and to all your listeners. Thank you very much for your time. Well, thanks everyone for listening to this week's show. I really hope you enjoyed that one as much as I did. Now, remember all the show notes with the links and the specials mentioned in today's show are available over at motivatetraining.com.au. If you haven't already, I'd really appreciate if you could head to iTunes or Stitcher, type in Motorsport Coaching, subscribe and leave us a review. Each week, I'll read them out and you'll go into monthly draw to win a fantastic prize. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at motivatetraining.com.au or head over to our Facebook page at Motivate to Tea. Until next time, take care.